What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. It is Tuesday, July 12th. Happy Emmy nominations day, Craig. Are you, do you have Emmys fever? Uh, yeah, I'm just overflowing with joy and excitement. <laughs> All right, we had the nominations this morning, and you know we'll we'll get into it on this episode. We got Inku Kang from the Washington Post here to talk about it, but just a, a little intro. HBO and HBO Max, the big winner today, 140 nominations, up from 130 last year. This is in contrast with Netflix which has 105 nominations, which is good enough for number two, but that is down considerably from last year's 129 nominations. This has really been the pissing match of the TV industry and what people pay attention to inside Hollywood. Uh, It's hilarious this year because last year there was a huge controversy over Netflix complaining that HBO was combining its nominations with HBO Max into one number, which Netflix thought it should be two numbers, even though it's one platform and all the programming is on both, you know, everything that's on HBO is also on HBO Max, uh, which seemed a little silly. But this year, the TV Academy didn't even release the pecking order. We had to add it up ourselves and the networks had to kind of verify everything themselves, which is hilarious. Yeah, why would they do that? Why do they need to appease Netflix? It's all, everything is so political. I mean, these networks just, it's all about that number. If you look at the HBO marketing, only the only thing that matters to them is that they are the number one platform and that they have that big golden number that they can put in all their promos and say, the most nominated outlet with 140 Emmy nominations more than any other platform. That's all that matters. And Netflix actually beat HBO a couple of years ago. And that was a huge deal because HBO has been the perennial. Now, Hulu did really well this year. They got actually 58 nominations, which is up from 25 last year. And Only Murders in the Building was a big one for them. Dope Sick and Dropout, Pam and Tommy, which we'll talk about. Uh, And Apple got 52 noms, including a ton for Severance, which I know you're watching. Yeah, I'm really liking it. I I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. How political does it get behind the scenes? How much do the nominations actually match what the critics believe? Well, it's not critics. 
It's the TV Academy. That's why, you know, you can get something like Emily in Paris last year, which was just torn apart by critics, or The Morning Show, which the critics don't like, and gets a ton of nominations. It's about 25,000 TV industry insiders that vote on this, and it's completely political. There are factions. People vote based on where their jobs are and what they want to see win. There's also a huge advertising component to this. There's so many shows these days that if you look around L.A. in May and June, it's all billboards, and it's advertising, and it's, you know, there's a a campaign associated with all these shows that is very influential. You have to frame it in a certain way. I mean, Netflix did a great job with Squid Game this year, bringing the actors to L.A., introducing them to the TV Academy and getting people comfortable voting for people that they'd never seen before in the show that was just this global juggernaut. So there is a whole political element. And, you know, it's ultimately the shows that got nominated by and large are great shows and no complaints there but the head scratchers that we'll get into and some of the snubs you can look at the politics everything behind the scenes so we're going to get into all that with ingu kang from the washington post and break down snubs surprises the whole thing from the ringer and puck i'm matt bellany and this is the town All right, we are here with Ingu Kang, who I know from her Hollywood Reporter days. And uh, we are going to break down the Emmy nominations, which just came out today. Uh, some good stuff, some questionable stuff, some head scratchers, and then Pam and Tommy. So <laughs> welcome. Thanks for having me. In the main categories, comedy series, we saw shows like Abbott Elementary on ABC and uh, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu get in there. Uh, they're you know, going to be battling against Ted Lasso and some of the perennials like Hacks and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But in the drama series category, we saw some interesting stuff. It's a lot of the, the regulars like Better Call Saul, but it also has newcomers like Squid Game, which is the first non-English language series to get a drama series nomination. Uh, Severance on Apple TV. Yellow Jackets from Showtime got in there, and they're battling against Succession and Euphoria and some of the others. Uh, all right, Inku, let's go through. You're going to pick a couple winners. I'm going to pick a couple winners. We'll pick some losers. Then we'll go to snubs, surprises, and what this all says about the television industry in 2022. So who are your winners? Uh, for me, just personally, but also on an industry level, Abbott Elementary is such a, just like a winsome, like really easy show to like root for. It got a bunch for Quinta Brunson, for Tyler James Williams of Everyone Hates Chris, for Charlie Ralph, for Janelle James. Um, I think it's sort of interesting that it seemed to root out Blackish. It sort of like supplanted it as like the one network show. And I think they're on the same network, ABC. Um, and that was Blackish's last season. So it's a little sad. But Abbott Elementary is sort of like the network show that is trying to make network sitcoms relevant again. And I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, that, that I think a lot of people in the TV industry were rooting for that one because it's a network comedy, traditional model, Warner Brothers Studio, ABC Network, and it's doing okay in the ratings, but people in the industry really love it, and now it's broken through. It's a mockumentary, and who thought they could still be interesting? <laughs> right, right. Uh, all right, I'm going to say for my winner, it's going to be Hulu. They've been an awards player with Handmaid's Tale in the past, but this year is a huge breakthrough for them. They got Only Murders in the Building, tons of nominations. They got Pam and Tommy, 
got nominated, which was a big shocker to me. Not just the, <laughs> not just the show and limited series, but Sebastian Stan got nominated. Uh, you know, some a bunch of other noms. They have Dope Sick. They had The Dropout. They have all the FX shows. Andrew Garfield got nominated for Under the Banner of Heaven. And What We Do in the Shadows from FX got nominated in the comedy series category. So I'm going to say Hulu is a big winner. They've been trying for a long time to make Hulu a hub for the prestige shows. And I think now they've got a great feather in their hat with these Emmy noms. And yet their place in the industry just keeps getting more and more precarious people because people keep saying you have to be folded into Disney Plus. It's weird. Yeah, it might be the last hurrah for Hulu if it does get folded in, but we'll see. All right, the losers. Oh boy, there were so many losers. <laughs> I know. So it's almost like, what isn't just a snub? You know, you could go through the snubs. Oh, Jennifer Aniston didn't get nominated for Morning Show. Selena Gomez didn't get nominated for uh, for Only Murders in the Building. Millie Bobby Brown did not get nominated for Stranger Things, even though that show did get a series nom. But what feels like the biggest loser? Honestly, Julia Roberts, I really thought that she would be a shoo-in for Gaslit, which is a star show. And I understand that a lot of people don't watch stars, even though they have P-Valley, they have Vita, they have really great programming sometimes. Um, but, you know, we have seen this industry-wide trend of movie stars, like A-plus list movie stars moving into TV and just sweeping up all of the awards. And she's done that in the past. Um, and this time the industry was like, you know what? We're done. Uh, there was also, obviously, uh, on that show, Sean Penn in just like the most grotesque Hitchcockian suit, like a really big fat suit. And there was nothing for him either. And yeah, it just sort of kind of made me happy to see that maybe we're taking serious, we're taking performances more seriously than we are. How famous someone has been. I think that's over. I think that era of movie stars doing TV equals automatic awards. That just isn't the case now. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway and We Crashed. Nobody got nominated. Jessica Chastain in Scenes from a Marriage. She just won an Oscar. Yep. And she can't get an Emmy nom, um, even though Oscar Isaac did get nominated for the same show. I think, you know, the, the fact that Yellowstone was snubbed and Kevin Costner, obviously a huge star. And that show's not new, but I think after the SAG nominations earlier this year that most people thought that Yellowstone would be nominated, they did a campaign. And for my losers, I'm going to say the final season of This Is Us, which I thought would, I mean, that has been a perennial nominee and it just got nothing. Not even Sterling K. Brown, yeah. who is who is usually a, a uh, perennial on this list and has won in the past, he got snubbed. So it's just like people kind of tuned out. I think people were really also rooting for Mandy Moore because it was like her big season. I think there was like a death arc or something. I don't know. I don't watch the show. <laughs> but people were really rooting for her. And, you know, there's only so far like old age makeup can go, I guess. Yeah. Another one is Atlanta, which got a nomination for Donald Glover, but nothing for the show. And this is a show that dominated for its most recent season. And why do you think that? You've written about Atlanta. Why do you think it didn't resonate? I think the third season was a bridge too far in terms of its experimentation. Obviously, people love the show because it's experimental, but at the same time, you have to give someone, you have to give the audience like what they came for, which is to see the main characters. And I think, you know, like nearly half of the episodes didn't actually feature the actors. It just sort of like went on these Twilight Zone-esque larks. And also those episodes weren't that good. 
Oh, I thought the lesbian adoptee that one was storyline that was hilarious. That was so funny. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I think when you tune into Atlanta, you want to see Paperboy, you want to see Earn, and when you don't see them, it's uh, frustrating. The stuff for Brian Tyree Henry, honestly, is a little bit shocking because he is the heart and soul, like the wounded heart and soul of that show. So, and also like just like Miles, I had a better actor than Donald Glover, but who's canning? All right, so let's do it. Let's go to surprises. Who is this year's Emily in Paris? What's the shocker that you're like, huh, okay. <laughs> For me personally, it's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, I cannot believe that anyone watches that decrepit show. But My mother watches that show and loves it and thinks it's hilarious. So that's sure. the audience. But you know what? That's a perennial. They always get nominated. Like, it's just, I mean, let's get into the the reason for all this. Because, you know, the same shows get so many nominations. And it's it's kind of frustrating. If you look at the supporting actor, a supporting actress in a limited series category, five of the seven nominees are from the White Lotus. <laughs> it's like, I love the White Lotus, but give another show, you know, just throw something at them. It's It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I feel sorry for Andy McDowell not getting anything from Maid. And that was like, she's a bad actress. And that was like an actual good performance coming from her. I think the actual WTF for me was Inventing Anna. That was a show that was sort of critically excoriated. And uh, basically none of the performances worked, especially Anna Chlumsky and the yelling cat noises from Julia Garner. And so the fact that it got Oh my God. That that show caused my dog to have problems. Like whenever <laughs> it was on, my dog would like be running around because the voice was so ridiculous. And I know it's accurate. I know the woman actually sounds that way, but it was not good. And I think it's that that's the Shonda Halo. Mm. People just liked Shonda Rhimes and knew it was from her company. But nothing from nothing for season two of Bridgerton. Mm, that's true. Maybe it's a Julia Garner thing. I think I just it love is. her. Yeah, the surprise for me, I think, is probably Pam and Tommy. Yeah. I mean, the was it what the talking penis episode? Like, what what was it? What was it about that that got it over the the hump? I I just can't. It just wasn't that good. Uh, who's the guy who directed Cruella? Craig Gillespie. Craig Gillespie has this like mildly magic touch, like not exactly like a golden touch, but maybe like a silver touch in Hollywood. And so maybe that's what helped hmm. it over. Um. I will say that I really enjoyed the first three episodes because it was just so frenetic and energetic and you really got a sense of the manic love story that started Pam and Tommy. Um, but did they finish through to the bitter, boring end? I don't know. All right, so let's get to most confusing moment. What's the biggest head scratcher? I mean, was there one? I think the Jon Stewart nomination. Sure. But but not in comedy variety show he he went in the separate um hosted nonfiction show category which is either an acknowledgement that his show wasn't that funny or it was a little <laughs> bit of category gaming to try to get him into the nominees even though the variety series talk show is really difficult to crack into even Corden didn't get nominated this year Corden didn't get nominated Fallon didn't although he doesn't Sam B did not get nominated um, you know, that's a, that's a, they, they tend to go with the same ones. I have to say, I was a teensy bit surprised that Euphoria season two got nominated. Uh, it was a real mess of an episode when the news came out that um, Sam Levinson 
did sometimes would go to sets without a shot list, I was like, oh yeah, you can kind of see that. Mm. Um, and the season was just crazy uneven in the way that season one was super cohesive. And so I'm a little surprised. It's just so popular. I mean, look at the numbers on that show. And the TV Academy has a history of rewarding popularity, which makes the Yellowstone snub all the more surprising. I mean, this is, they nominated Mandalorian a couple of years ago. Remember that? And that was, you know, because it was just so popular. It's a phenomenon. I think Stranger Things benefits from that. But the cast of Stranger Things got no love, which is a bit surprising. I was also a little surprised that Sarah Paulson got nominated for Impeachment American Crime Story. I know Sarah Paulson's another perennial, but that was not a good performance. And she got excoriated up and down for wearing a fat suit. And it really started like a whole media cycle about the show. And also, I don't think the show really got nominated for very much else other than like a writing nom. And so it's a show that basically got forgotten and then poof. Like somehow Sarah Paulson got plucked out of that obscurity and got another Emmy nom. I guess like her 45th or or something now. I think she could get nominated for reading her grocery list. (laughs) Honestly, like Sarah Paulson is just one of those names. You see it and you check the box. That's why I was surprised Tracy Ullman did not get nominated for Kirby Enthusiasm this year. She is one of those that has been nominated in the past for obscure specials and things that people didn't even know were on. And she had an amazing arc on Curb this season playing Larry David's super annoying love interest and or quasi-love interest and no nomination for her. That's another one. The other HBO one I would have loved to see is uh, Winning Time. No love for Winning Time. I know you were not a fan. I know. So why do you hate Winning Time so much? It's annoying. And it's not fun. And the pacing is completely off. It's a little bit. Some of the directorial pieces of flair are a bit annoying. But once you get it, once you get used to that, it's a great show. And like the subject matter is hilarious. And the whole Jerry West storyline where him being pissed off is is amazing. Um, I think Station Eleven got pretty like generally snubbed but Himesh Patel or Himesh Patel sorry I don't know how to pronounce that name uh got nominated sort of like out of nowhere for lead actor in limited or anthology that was a surprise um because I don't think Mackenzie Davis got one and obviously she's a big name there and that show has a lot of big names and that was the only one that was the only performance that got singled out but also that episode in the hospital with all of the waiting rooms and he sort of has to like kind of like figure out how to be an OBGYN on the spot. Like that was a beautiful episode. And he stars in the first episode of the season. Mm. So again, if people are just cruising around, they may have thought that he was the star of the show, (laughs) even though he really was only the star of that one episode. Um, But yeah, which gets back to, you know, how much are these voters actually watching? I enjoy your cynicism. All right, so let's look big picture here. You know, we're looking at these nominations and what does it say about the television industry in 2022? Uh, I'll let you have the first take on that. I mean, it's obvious that the TV Academy only watches like 10, 15 shows tops. But I think with this like really large spread of nominations, it's actually kind of encouraging that, yeah, of course, they're watching HBO, HBO Max shows, but at the same time, they're watching Apple, they're watching Showtime, they're watching uh, shows that aren't in the English language. And so that's a little encouraging for me. Yeah, I think the Squid Game nominations um, are a big deal, not just because the show is so popular and Netflix did a campaign for the show and kind of introduced that 
foreign caste to the U.S. voters. But I think the willingness to embrace such a clear genre show, I mean, they did it with Mandalorian. They have done it in the past with some of these other big kind of branded shows. But Squid Game, I would have guessed, might not be the Academy's cup of tea, and yet it was. I mean, same with Severance. Severance is a little bit more elevated drama type, and it had the pedigree of Ben Stiller as director. But, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of tough to get through that first episode, and then it gets better and better and better. And it was nice to see that the TV Academy did put in the time on that one, at least. And Yellow Jackets, which is a pretty grisly show about, I mean, teenage cannibals, and they went for that one, which made me happy. Yeah, okay. It's teenage cannibals, but it's also like 90s nostalgia. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> I love it. But that's a big win for Showtime. They've had some Emmy troubles the past few years, and it's a, a Showtime being in the mix, I think, is a good thing for them. I think if we're talking about Showtime, a prestige, I don't know, like dumpster fire, like the first Lady miniseries was like oh, a much safer God. bet than Yellow Jackets, and yet it was Yellow Jackets that pulled through. But doesn't that always, isn't that always the case where the show that was engineered to be an Emmy show ends up not being that, and then the show that comes out of nowhere is Let that, me enjoy it, Matt. That happens a lot. I mean, I don't think that Amazon thought that Mrs. Maisel would be the show that five years in is still getting Emmy noms. I don't think that, you know, even something like Succession, uh, I don't think they thought that this would be the juggernaut that it is. Yeah. On that same note where, you know, the same shows keep winning and getting nominated, I think there aren't going to be that many surprises on Emmy night. I think we'll yeah. probably see Succession win Outstanding drama series. I think we'll probably see Ted Lasso win Outstanding Comedy Series, even though season two is not as good as season one. And in the limited series, I think it's probably a race between Dope Sick and Dropout. I'd vote for Dropout, but those two seem like the inside track. Who knows? Do you have a surprise or something that we should look for on Emmy night that might surprise people? I'm really curious to see how many of the Squid Game actors actually uh pull through because I think it's obviously a really big achievement getting to the nomination level, but are you going to make it to like the tippy top of this? Um, the way that Parasite did, I don't know. Especially the lead actor, Lee Jung-jae. I think he, if he breaks through and wins, that will be a gigantic moment, uh, especially considering how popular the show is worldwide. Oh, I have like a, let's watch to see if it goes anywhere. So Dave Chappelle's The Closer, which was like the special that was really derided widely for being transphobic, uh, was also nominated for a variety special. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see if that one is going to win and where the industry is with him right now. That's fascinating. If that wins and he gets up there, what he says, I mean, would he be gracious or would he launch into another anti-trans rant just to cause some headlines? I know that we don't care very much about reality when we're talking about Emmy stuff, but I thought it was kind of surprising that Liz's Watch Out for the Big Girls sort of made it here, especially since like the reality nominations tend to be really, really calcified. And that's like her like first season show. And I don't know if it's like the name recognition that got her there. I don't think it's gotten a huge amount of buzz, but that's a really exciting entrant in that category. Do you think that it has a chance to up, up in RuPaul? Which has been the no. leader there. Rue is like a juggernaut at this point. But I'm glad yeah. that some other people are playing the game. Right, exactly. All right, Inku Kang from the Washington Post TV critic. Thanks for breaking down the Emmy noms. We can read your reviews at WashingtonPost.com. Thanks a lot. Thanks. 
All right, we are back with the call sheet. My daily prediction. Craig, did you see this Netflix story out of France yesterday? Netflix has 10 million subscribers there, they announced, which is up significantly from 2020 when they said they had 7 million subscribers. But interestingly, they said that they have five people watching every Netflix account. Now, that was in a news story that was published in France. It was attributed to co-CEO Ted Sarandos. And a lot of the people that follow Netflix closely picked up on that and said, whoa, that's interesting because Netflix previously had said that only 3.5 people watch each profile. And that indicates, although they didn't say this, that password sharing has become an even bigger problem than it was couple of years ago, then that number mysteriously disappeared from the French news article that uh, originally reported it. So either Sarandos didn't say it or Netflix PR people got to them and they didn't want that number out there and they took it down. So regardless, it really is a good chance for us to talk about the whole crackdown on password sharing, which is coming to Netflix by the end of the year. And my prediction is this is going to be a gigantic deal. This is going to change the way people watch Netflix, and it's going to really cause a lot of people to question whether they actually want Netflix or whether they just will give it up because it's not free on their parents or their ex-girlfriend's account. But are you saying that you think once they crack down on password sharing that the Netflix amount of subscribers will go up or no? I think that it is going to go up slightly because there are some people who will convert, but they're going to convert at a lower price point because what Netflix is doing is they're not going to say to people, okay, you're cut off, buy a subscription or nothing. They're going to try to move people over to a lower cost tier. They're going to say to people who have people sharing saying, hey, we noticed that you have three other people on your account. Add them for $2 each. Add them for $4 each. Some price point to get them to pay extra to like keep your kids who are in college on your subscription. Then they're also going to go the other side of it when these people are kicked off, if they have a, a an email account that they are on, and they're going to say, hey, why don't you come over to this lower tier where you can pay half the price, but there's going to be ads on this tier. And they're going to release that at the same time, right? Right when they when they crack down on passwords, they will, they will introduce the ad-supported tier? Yes. The plan, I am told, is to introduce the ad option when the password sharing crackdown happens, at least in some countries. I don't know that it'll be ready for all the the big markets, but at least in some countries, that's what they're doing. And I think it's going to be hugely impactful. The, The big question is whether the revenue that Netflix is going to get from the ad tier is going to make up for the money they lose by moving a lot of people over to the ad tier from the current subscription price. Um, And some of the estimates from analysts are that like 100 million subscribers of Netflix are going to switch over to the ad tier. And that's almost half their current subscriber base. (laughs) Yeah. So that if that happens, that would be a huge shift. And I don't know if the money that they make on ads is going to make up for the lost revenue there. Well, it kind of feels like Netflix's entire existence relies on this one moment where they crack down on passwords and introduce this ad tier and they'll get to see which direction they move in. But I fully agree with you that this is an underrated story and this is going to make a huge impact. And I personally think that it is going to be a positive for Netflix. And a lot of people are going to either hop to ad supported or do the little two ninety nine dollars to add your sister move. And they're going to make more money um, because I think like 
it's going underreported how many people share Netflix accounts. Do you know anyone who actually pays for their own account? Honestly, very few. <laughs> I think a ton of, like what they said about France, that one, one account equals five subscribers. That number's probably low. Yeah. I mean, that, I look on my Netflix sometimes. I'm like, wait, who the hell's watching this? You know, Hulu too. Like, who's watching Kardashians? And then it's like, oh, the login was from, you know, my sister's house or from, you know, my brother-in-law in South Carolina. Like, that's just how it works now. And I don't know. I mean, it's really going to put in front of these consumers a stark choice. Is Netflix worth it to you to pay for? I, I think it's going to stick around, and I think it, I think I'm long on Netflix. All right. Well, we'll see. All right. That is the show today. I'd like to thank Ingu Kang. I'd like to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I'd like to thank you. We'll see you later this week. 